This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 66. I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will have a generation of idiots. You know what? Einstein might have been onto something there. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your, your next step starts now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I'm really glad that you're here this week. Today, I'm really excited to get this episode out. Today, I'm interviewing some very much kindred spirits that I came across recently, and I was introduced to these two by Lisa Carpenter, who was interviewed back in episode 52 of the show. You guys should go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Today's show, I'm interviewing Rachel and Kyle Wright of the Wright Wellness Center. Rachel and Kyle are relationship and sex therapists. They were very much recently based out of Denver, Colorado, but just, I believe, just this week for that matter, uh, just this week, they have relocated to New York City, where all good therapists go to finish their careers. The The Wrights are really an incredible couple. They've got a relationship that does not quit. I've really been impressed by what I've seen and read and heard from them about sort of the nature of their relationship, how they got together a, as you'll find out in the interview, it comes up in conversation, but a former self-described asshole marries a former self-described know-it-all to come to what is now the Right Wellness Center. This conversation was a lot of fun. It ran a little bit long, and we get into a lot of stuff. They build themselves as being able to rescue relationships and restore intimacy by bridging the gap between a self-help book and a therapist couch. And we talk about how sex relationships and mental health are all interconnected. And we get into some of the troubles that we have in today's society with regards to interpersonal communication. If you've not been listening to the show or have been, you know, living under a rock for the last couple of years, you've probably noticed in your normal social gatherings that having conversations that don't immediately spark to political controversy is becoming something that's becoming more and more difficult to accomplish. And that's not good for the nature of relationships and just sort of the normal process of human interaction and getting to know other strangers and getting along with people in your family and your closer associates. We talk a lot about that. This, this conversation was pretty wide ranging. I do have to give you a slight warning that I do my best in general to try and keep a lid on the nature of my language for the show, just to make sure that it is available to a wider audience. But I did find some kindred spirits in the rights as they have an equal level of proclivity to myself to using, let's just call them colorful metaphors. So this conversation might not be appropriate for tiny humans if you're listening to it in the car. So either pop in your earbuds or listen to it another time if you've got kids running around. That being said, without further ado, I bring you Rachel and Kyle Wright. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Rachel, Kyle, thanks for coming on the show. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we're so happy to be here, Jason. Yeah, no worries. Now, the uh, the audience that's listening, they had sort of a snapshot of your background and your specialization and sort of how we came across each other uh, during the introduction to the show. But obviously, you're a smidge more familiar with, you know, yourself more than I am. So I mean, I hope so. If I wasn't, like that'd be a whole other conversation. Fair point. Though you would be li- though you would be living your profession. But anyway, so <laughs> tell, you know, give give me in the audience a little bit more about your background. Like how did you got like per- personal and professional? Like how do you, how did you two meet? Like what's how did you guys come come about this particular profession? Like what are you what are you guys up to? Well, so the way we met is actually fairly entertaining i think and the long the long story of it uh is that we didn't like each other when we first no, no, met no, we hated each other oh, when we awesome. first met yeah yeah so uh i was working as a corporate trainer for a expanding restaurant company going to train their bartenders uh, i've been mm-hmm. bartending for just a little bit by the time i got offered that and so i was uh visiting southern california opening up uh, a restaurant for my company and Rachel had been hired as one of the trainees to work in that restaurant because she was living in Southern California and I was living in Northern California at the time. I had just started in my master's program. Okay. So I had decided to go back to serving, which is what I did all through college. And this new restaurant was opening at the Irvine Spectrum. If anybody is familiar, it's like mm-hmm. the only fun thing to do in all of Irvine. So People usually are like, oh, I've been there. I'm like, yeah, because it's the only place you can go there. Yeah. Um, so I applied and and anyway, just want to fill in that blank. Well, yeah. And um, I was an asshole at this time of life. <laughs> He's not lying. I uh, well, first of all, it was the the way in which I was not required to perform at work, but it really helped because I got put into the position of bartender at this restaurant where there was a couple people, uh, you know, in quotes in line ahead of me to get that position. But because I worked a little bit harder than they did and I knew some people that knew the owner, I was able to kind of jump into that position before other people and no one liked me because of it. So me going to work, everybody was looking for ways of calling me out for not being good at my job. So my response to them was to be better than they were at my job and then be an asshole to them afterwards <laughs> so they wouldn't bother me anymore. Which I saw right through because that's me. Right. But I, at the same time, was overly... Um, she didn't actually, know it all. No, I, Sure. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So we got Kyle, former bartender, former trainer, former asshole. Now, Rachel, tell me about you. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so I grew up um, all over California, was born in San Francisco, My raised in the Bay Area. And then my parents moved us down to uh, Orange County, mm-hmm. right as it was really being developed. Um, Irvine really didn't exist when we moved there. It was mostly dirt. And, uh, I, (laughs) I was the Kyle calls it a know-it-all. I just like to sit at the front of the class and ask the questions and, you know, learn the things. And then when get asked by the teacher or boss, I liked to know the things. Mm -hmm. Uh, so (laughs) when we She likes to know more things than anyone else though. And to remind people that she knew more (laughs) than anyone else though. (laughs) At the restaurant. Yes, that is very true. So I, um, I have always. Nowhere else in life, I'm sure. Go ahead. (laughs) It actually doesn't, it doesn't so much. Like really it's in that sales, like competition, like who can sell the wine the most. Like I want to know all the stories about the vineyard because that's how I'm going to get people anyway. Sure. So I'm a very multi-passionate person, but I would say that 
my passions really come down to two things, and that is musical theater and psychology and sex. So I came at a crossroads at my life um, after school. I was not sure what I wanted to do after I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology. So I applied to AMDA, which is the American Musical and Dramatic Academy in New York. And I applied to a bunch of grad schools to get my master's in clinical psych. And I was like, well, I'll see where I get in. You know, I had to audition for AMDA. So I was like, I'll just kind of let the universe like figure it out for me. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting accepted into both programs. So I was literally in the same week I got my acceptance letters. And it was one of those moments where I was like, is this what like grownups talk about with like forks in the road? <laughs> you know, here I am, like I was what, 21 or 22 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had always wanted to live in New York and always wanted to pursue that. And at the same time, I knew that I was not the type of person who was going to be able to sustain a career around judgment and around auditions and constantly getting criticized for things that you can't control. So I chose psychology, which I am so very grateful for because I can still do theater whenever I want and I don't have to rely on, you know, that for an income. Um, So I ended up in my master's program, which is when I crossed paths with my now husband. Um, And (laughs) kind of the rest is history. I ended up getting brought onto the training team. Yeah. Uh, One year later, after that restaurant opening where we met, uh, we became friends. We're both, uh, Jewish, but not religious people, but that's how we were introduced. They're like, Oh, you two are Jewish. Do you guys know each other? I'm like, well, that's not how it works. <laughs> Literally how we were introduced. There's like, the that's not, we don't like all kind of inherently like sense it out of each other. Um, (laughs) but then a year later she ended up being on the training team and, uh, yeah, kind of the rest was history at that point. Yeah, so we shared our first kiss over Hanukkah, um, <laughs> you know, just and Manischewitz. As one does. As one does. Oh, Manischewitz, and... oh, Manischewitz the most vile, terrible, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Go. You know what's funny about that, Jason, is that <laughs> we went out that day specifically to go get drunk off of uh, Manischewitz. <laughs> we were like, let's go get two <laughs> bottles of this stuff from Target. This which shows is, you how we're... young we were. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just going to really, re- you know, reminisce and reflect on all the great Passovers and all that and, you know, just have fun together. And then we couldn't even like. Finish well, yeah, one. well, yeah, because yeah, because you all have the same relatives and the same, you know, the same friends, all you. people. Yeah, we all so, know each other. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Re- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we started dating and literally within. Babe, when did you send me that note? We move very quickly when we know what we want as people we, we've learned this about each other kind of as time has gone on but it really puts our first six months of our relationship mm-hmm. in it really makes a lot of sense the kind of moves we made because i don't know i came back from that i remember um that my restaurant that i worked at through a big new year's eve like christmas holiday party uh every year at someone's house and it was always a rager and everyone made mistakes and did stupid things and I remember it was the day after I got back from opening the restaurant where Rachel and I had really hit it off and like found each other in this crazy world. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like a different person. I was like, this is not what I want to do. These are not the people I want to be around. Like, I don't enjoy this. Something is super wrong. And my manager at the time's like, I think you're in love with Rachel. And I was like, holy shit, I think I'm in love with Rachel. <laughs> Uh, so I wrote her. A, we she had somehow accidentally in air quotes. I left did. A, I don't believe. I'll never believe. It like, it, it, it's oh aw- it's awesome that it's awesome that your boss told you who you were in love with. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, right? he told me. He told me before I went down there. He's like, you're gonna sleep with Rachel while you're down there. 
And I'm like, no, I'm not. that's bullshit, Joey. You're wrong. I don't and know what that says about me, but whatever. I, well, I think that this person in, in question, my manager at the time, Joey, uh, was more intuitive than he'll ever realize. Like yes. this person really understands human nature. It's crazy. Anyway, Rachel had somehow <laughs> accidentally, in quotes, left a binder that she bought while we were down in Southern California together in my bags, which I don't really know how that works. So it came home with me and I'm it like, this isn't room. my this isn't my pink, like uh, bedazzled binder. I don't know why I <laughs> oh have this. Oh, my God, it was flowers. I don't even <laughs> own bedazzled things. This anyway. is the, literally the one thing that we disagree on, Jason, is this <laughs> notebook left at the Hampton Inn in Westlake Village, California. This is the one thing. That, You're just that not we... a kind of person to leave things behind. I'm I just saying. Know. Anyway, uh, so I decided to <laughs> mail it back to her. We were like talking literally all day, every day at this point. Um, and I, I had this overwhelming feeling and I wrote in like little note section right at the beginning of the calendar of the binder part. And I'm like, I think I just told you I'm in love with you. Like, this yeah. is crazy. Um, and after that, we chose to do long distance for a little bit, but we knew we didn't want to do that for a long time. So we had plans to open up another restaurant for the same company together in the Bay area in, uh, in San Mateo, right on the outskirts of San Jose. And real, and, real quick for the, for the, for those non-California natives, you guys were roughly how far apart? About seven hours by car. Okay. Got yeah. It. So about a one hour flight. So we were seeing each other like once a month and think, racking up those Southwest points. Sure. Yeah, I think the longest we ever went without seeing each other was three weeks during this six month period, which is pretty good. You know, I'm curious, like, I wonder if anyone's ever done a study on that. How many, how many marriages exist today? Thanks exclusively to Southwest airlines that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't have existed before. Like, seriously, like I, I wonder, it's like when it, you, when it used to cost $2,000 to fly from LA to San Francisco. Francisco versus now where it costs $50. Like right. those relationships did like, it was financially impossible to maintain this relationship. Like it was what just like, I wonder how many, like how many relationships are out there? I like somebody should do a study on that. That would be so interesting to see anyway. Seriously, especially with the addition of like frontier and spirit where they, the you know, ones. you can yeah, go now for, like, all the cheap ones. Yeah. They yeah. now go everywhere. And you may not get there when you're on spirit, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so, long, yeah, so we ended up uh, we knew that we wanted to move in together and we had kind of planned it around like, oh, we're going to both be in the Bay Area and we're going to open up a restaurant there. And we kind of both want to live in the Bay Area. And we decided we we're going to move in together and transfer to that restaurant after we had opened it. But that meant by the time this all happened that we were moving in together, I think, seven months into our relationship, mm -hmm. which most people would be like, well, that's crazy you're cra sure. to do that. But the thing is, is that we had planned already to move into in, in with each other in a year in. We're like, OK, well, we wait one year before moving in together because that seems to be socially acceptable. <laughs> but once we had made that decision, we we're like, so if we already think we want to do it and we feel really positive about moving in together, why wait an extra five months? That's insane. Yeah. Let's just do it now. And yeah. So we did. Yeah. If it's going well, like, uh, like, obviously, yeah. like if everything is going well and, you know, the ev you're hitting on all eight cylinders. Why not? I know my 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 wife and I. We we had a similar ra rapid ramp up to to our relationship. We met in June. The we met on June thirtieth, two thousand eleven. We were dating by two weeks after that. We were dating two weeks after that. Dating exclusively by probably first week of August. Moved in together in October. And I proposed on St. Patrick's Day, 
the following March. So we, I, wow. yeah. So we, we moved into, we, and it was one of the, it was one of those unplanned, unthought about move-ins. It was just, it was one of those that you hear people talk about. It's like, well, you know, one night I stayed the night and then, you know, <laughs> left my jacket. And then I didn't le- leave. I left, I left my jacket and left my toothbrush and left my clothes and left. And eventually, <laughs> eventually I just stopped leaving. Um, yep. So that, that happened, that was happening by September. I would say probably late August to September, you know, where that was, where that was happening. Definitely by October, it was a hundred percent. You know, I rented out my bedroom in my house and, you know, was full, full on it at Carrie's place. And nice. then, and then March, we took a trip to the beach. I orchestrated it. We took a trip to the beach and the, I schemed with her parents and my mom and, you know, everybody that knew what was going to be going on. And we, I, you know, proposed on, you know, out on a freezing goddamn cold, <laughs> foggy, misty, rainy jetty in Cape May when we took the ferry from the, from uh, Lewis, Delaware across to Cape May. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, that was, what was that? So eight months in seven, eight, eight months in, and then engagement was 18 months. And then we got married in 2013. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That no, is awesome. awesome. Yeah. No, it was, it was very, very quick. It was very yeah, quick. I, you know, I never understood when people like as a younger person dating, um, I never, when people would say like, oh, when you know, you know, I'd be like, oh, whatever. Kind of like the, I'm doing the like jerking off motion with my hand. Like, <laughs> you know, like, whatever. okay, yeah. whatever. Yeah, whatever. And sure. like, I swear with Kyle, I was like, oh, I know. Yep. Like, this is just it. Yeah. And, and at the time, like he still definitely had a lot of those dickish qualities <laughs> that we were talking about at the beginning. And so mm-hmm. some of my friends and family were like, uh... He's Rachel, a, like he's, he's kind of a dick. Yeah, it's like yeah, he's kind of a, yeah. And sure. I'm like this super deep feeling, like empathetic therapist to be. And they're like, I really don't understand. I'm like, so well, you guys don't have to understand. And it was like the first time in my life I did not care what other people thought because I knew our relationship and I knew how happy we were. Which, um, which speaking, which of, says so much. Which speaking of the stereotypes of that is like, of, like for a guy. Sorry, sorry to shit on you here, Kyle. But like for That's for cool. a, it's like for a guy who's sort of an untouchable prick. Of course, the sweet, empathetic therapist girl uh-huh. is going to be the one that is like, so I'm sure that was kind of the angle that, you know, the parents or friends were taking with you, which was like, like, you're it's like, I know you're just going to try and fix him. You're going to try and yes. fix him. It's not going to work. No matter what you do, it's not going to work. Please don't do. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I totally get that. Sure. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to fix him. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with him. This is just a chip on his shoulder because he's pissed right now. <laughs> and I knew that. And, you know, now we have the Kyle today and it's like, ha ha, I saw it before all of you. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we met. I was 23, yeah. you know, like yeah, what, top of what guy is a dick that's 23. Right. Exactly. Right. Like making more money than I knew what to do with. I had zero responsibilities and. I got what I needed to get by being better than the people I was around and Mm -hmm. then showing them that and reminding them that. And that's just, you know, the person that I was at the time. Yeah. Now, at at what stage at Rachel, at what stage were you professionally at this point? I know you were out there for grad school, but were you still in grad school or had you finished and you were taking a job further north? So when we moved in together, I was in the internship phase. So in the state of California, you have to do 3,000 clinical hours Hmm. to even be eligible to take the licensing exam. 
Um, so it is like you guys, if you ever go see a therapist in California, like they have done their due diligence. For point of reference, you. uh, for Colorado for the same thing, it's 1500 hours. Yeah. Literally okay. half. Literally yeah. half. So, now, now just for, for people listening, exactly what degree or what type of therapist are you talking about? Like what, what's the, what's the official designation? Like, can you, question. are you, yeah. a, are you a, like. Are you a general quote unquote psychotherapist? Do you have a specialization that you can that that three thousand hours is geared towards? What are I know you're not a psychiatrist. What exactly are you? Great question, and I love this question because there are so many stupid fucking letters after people's <laughs> names that like I can't even keep track of what states mean what. Um, so my master's is in clinical psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy. Okay. So in the state of California, I am a licensed marriage family therapist. Okay. Also in the state of Colorado. And then I did extra work courses and hours to be certified as a sex therapist and sex educator. Um, so my emphasis, I worked a lot when I was in San Francisco in the LGBT community. Um, and again, like this doesn't mean that I didn't have clients that, you know, were coming in with like your garden variety, anxiety, depression sure. and all of that good stuff. But I wanted to really focus in on one area also. Um, and so sex and communication ended up being that for me. Um, I would say that one of my superpowers is really being able to get a couple on the same page mm -hmm. and understanding each other when they're speaking different languages. Even if it's both English, they're not both speaking the same language. Um, and I love, I love so working true. with couples to create their own language in their relationship because that's what Kyle and I did. And so not only do I understand how to do it from this scientific academic perspective, I'm also halfway to my PhD, which I am not going to finish. Um, we could talk about that later, but, okay. um, so I have a lot of research and education under my belt, but I also live this. And I think that that's something that is really important to me. Like I've been through anxiety. I went through a few years of having panic disorder. I've been depressed. Like I have been where my clients are. And while that's not necessarily a must, right? Like you don't have to be sexually assaulted to be a rape crisis counselor. Sure. You don't have to like have had brain surgery to be a brain surgeon. Sure. Um, but with my particular work, I think it's important that, you know, I really understand what my clients are going through and it really lights the fire under my ass to help them because I saw my parents get divorced because of lack of communication. Mm -hmm. Kyle's parents got divorced. Um, you know, we grew up like with all of these parents just fucking divorcing, like left and right. And yeah. I, as a kid, I was like, this is so strange. Like what is going on? What the hell's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. Like <clears throat> where's the disconnect? I don't get it. And luckily when I was 15 years old, my parents found out that I had smoked pot and had sex with my boyfriend at the time. And uh, they sent me to therapy. <laughs> and I'm so grateful because that very first session, there I was 15 years old in the therapist's office. Her name was Jill Murray. She's unbelievable. And I sat there and I was like, I want to do what you're doing. And literally from that moment on, I knew what I wanted to do. 
That's awesome. Now you, you mentioned you mentioned that you did a lot of work within the LG, LGBT community in San Francisco. Like, is yeah. that is that a big community in San Francisco? Is that a thing? I haven't heard. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but San Francisco. Yeah. No, it was an incredible place to work. Yeah, the um, rumors on the street say no. Yeah. 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 Word is that there tends to be a congregation of people in that city. Uh, but the funny thing is that Rachel's office was directly on the outskirts of the Castro District, which is also known as the hub of I, I don't know. It's like, where the LGBT yeah. center is. It's, you know, the crosswalks are painted rainbows. Rainbow, yeah, I was going to say, like, the, yeah. Yeah. the name of the theater down there? The Castro Theater. There you go. I have, I have heard of the Castro Theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been, mm-hmm. it's so been, that's where my office was. Gotcha. 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 Super cold. Now, you, you, refer, you referred to the fact that you're not finishing your PhD. Mind going there now? Like, I'm, I'm sure. curious. Because yeah. it's so much of a bitch. And if you're at least, if you're halfway there, why not button it up? Like what, what's, what's stopping you from that? Um, the system. Okay. And I refuse out of principle <laughs> to pay another dime into a system that does not treat their academics well. <laughs> um, I have a fuck ton of student loan debt, which is totally worth it because I love what I do and I love my education. Um, but getting my PhD and working as a faculty member, which I have done, I, I did, I worked as adjunct faculty um, at a couple different universities and they treat you like dirt. Um, you are used for the letters after your name mm-hmm. and it doesn't really mean anything. Like put it this way, at this point, all I would have to do is really finish my dissertation and then defend it. Okay. But the amount of money that I would have to pay Between the school to that. do that would be about 150,000 more dollars. <laughs> yeah. Just for the letters PhD. Some letters. So that and so that you can so that you can get an academic so that you can get an academic job that'll pay you $50,000 a year. Exactly. Well, it's mostly so if someone or, yeah. shouts like is there a doctor, Rachel can be like, "Yeah, totally." And then someone can be like no, Rachel, this is a hospital, just like on Friends. Yeah, I don't want to be Ross thing. Geller. Yeah, it's like I can it's like I can talk you through your heart attack, but I yeah, don't exactly. you know. It's like, is there a doctor? Yes. Not me. Not, uh, not how me. is your broken leg making you feel right now? <laughs> so I you know, and I'm so grateful for the education. Like I really view Kyle and I as a filtration system for our clients because without my education, all of this research that's been done for like 50 years plus on what makes relationships succeed or fail is hidden behind this wall of you have to have a master's or PhD, yeah. not only to access the shit, but to actually understand it. Yeah. And so I am very grateful that I have the access to those studies. I know how to read them. I know how to know if it's valid. And then I kind of translate it into like English for Kyle. And mm. then Kyle takes it one step further and makes it into like actually understandable mm-hmm. stuff. And that's one of my superpowers is explaining things really well to people. Because mm. when I worked at the restaurant we worked at, it was very story heavy. Like, yeah, you need to know about this winery because they do things a very specific way. You need to know about the pork we use for our pork chops because that's also very special. You need to know about this because that's very special. Mm. Then be able to explain that to somebody in 30 seconds while doing something else for someone else. Got it. Yeah, that's that's that is an incredible superpower. That that's something that I have I've been told. So they say, rumor is that I I've been told that I have a I have a similar talent to be able to sort of I I read and listen to podcasts and audiobooks voraciously and on not. <laughs> 
on not the lightest topics in the world. Um, so this, but when I'm, when these topics that I've been listening to come up in conversation, I'm able to sort of boil down a 20 hour, you know, audiobook to a conversation in less than five minutes and have yeah. people that are around me fully understand what the perspective is without it being completely tainted with my, pers- with my personal opinions, which is not hard, yes. which is not easy to do. No, you know? it's not. Cause like, but when it comes, when it comes to debating, re- pick, pick an, pick an issue that you're not supposed to talk about publicly or, you know, in mm-hmm. today's, or in today's world has to act be a litmus test in conversations. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like, I, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a bar. It's like, I'm going to go to the bar and get drunk tonight. Hang on a second. Let me, sur- let me scour the Facebook page of the owner of the bar really quick, just to make sure that he votes the way that I vote. Okay. You do- okay, cool. I can drink. I'm like, what the hell? Just, just grab a just fucking go. shot. Just, just grab a shot glass and do your goddamn job. Anyway. So the, but the, that's, the way when those types of conversations come up, it's very difficult for people to read me because mm-hmm. I'm an, I'm, I'm a natural antagonist. So it's all, it's always, I always play with people a little bit in conversations like that, regardless of the topic. Like we, we could be talking about the weather. It's like we, it's right. like we, we could be talking about the way it's like, Oh, thing is like somebody's like, wow, it's wonderful in Southern California. I'm like, I know those wildfires do amazing things to the air quality, you know? And just, <laughs> I can be a total dick or sometimes it can be, but it's, it's fun because it cha- like, I view it as it challenges people's sort of, natural state of being so they mm-hmm. kind of have to defend their perspective and it's it's funny watching people squirm sometimes i think i i don't and, yeah no yeah. i think it's good i mean i yeah. do a very similar thing in my work it's just a bit more empathetic just because of what i do <laughs> yeah. but like there's sure. there's not a good bad right wrong there i think it's like the moral of it the overall arching theme is challenging and making somebody really think about what it is that they are standing in yeah. And I think that that's really important because so often we don't even realize where our own beliefs came from. Like all of a sudden we're talking about something and it's not even our voice, like what's well, our voice actually coming out. But yeah. it's like grandma so-and-so who told me one time that blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden that becomes this belief that then mm-hmm. I think is mine yeah. and it's not, it's hers. Yeah, it's it's the it kind of it harkens back to the old story the old story about the family that cuts the ends off their ham when they when they roast it in the oven. Have you guys heard that analogy? Yes. That, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For for you guys have, but obviously for anybody that's listening, like there there's a there is an old there is an old sort of wives' tale about a story about how this woman who started dating this guy and whenever she was cooking food for on the holidays they they would cook a ham and before they would cook it they would cut the ends the two ends off of the ham and put it into the oven. And the guy thought that, that was just, you know, a little weird. So he asked a question. It's like, Hey, why, why do you cut the ends off your ham? It's like, Oh, because it tastes better. It's like, huh, that's interesting. Maybe it's, it has something to do with the juices. Like, I don't know. It's just my, my mom always did it and it, you know, it does, it makes it taste better. So that's just what I do. So eventually, you know, the next holiday party ask, you know, he comes across to the mom and he asks the mom, it's like, he's like, Hey, Hey mom, why do you, why do you cut the ends off your ham? You know, what's so-and-so said so. And she's like, Oh, because it makes it, it just makes it taste better. My mom said that. And she taught me that growing up and you know, it just makes it taste better. So that's the grandmother. Okay. Generation three next holiday. She comes across the grandmother comes across the grandmother. He's like, Hey, Hey grandma, like, why do you cut the ends off your ham? Everybody was saying that you do this. It's like, Oh, cause when we were growing up, our oven was only about six inches wide. So we had to cut the end. So it would fit in the oven. 
But like, try explaining that to a five-year-old. It's like, oh, uh, just right. it's like honey, it makes it taste better. It's like, okay. And I'll be 70 goddamn years later, it's still because it tastes better, not because it's, you know, it is it's the reason it's that you the think. Oven. Yeah. Yeah. It's hilarious. Oh, it's yeah. hilarious. It's a wonder that's a wonderful story, but it's a it's amazing how applicable that is to opinion like political perspectives. Perspe- mm-hmm. perspectives on sex and relationships and christ man anything it's like it, oh yeah just, it's just we we parrot what we parrot what our elders say and in some some cases maybe that's good you know don't chug bleach got it dad okay i don't <laughs> yeah. you know, okay so sometimes sometimes this information is valid i don't want to test that that's one of the hypotheses i'm not particularly interested in testing it's like well what would happen if well maybe it's just we were for people that are listening we were joking before air talking about me and uh, rachel's uh, shared disdain of gluten for different for varying um severe severity but we were talking about how people around us you know as we're getting into it and even today just don't get the whole quote-unquote gluten thing and we were talking about well that we'll get pr- proposition to is like well you can just have one slice of pizza or like if you can can you just have a little bit or just have it every now and then that's okay it's like well let me reverse the question on you it's like would you like to have just a little bit of arsenic in your ice cream like it makes it <laughs> it makes it taste sweeter and it really crystallizes the top it really does some amazing things is it it's, it's just a little bit eventually it'll be okay no n- not so some 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 wives tale knowledge is definitely worth having but what oh yeah for your but it it, it's like it's just sitting and questioning it like even if it is you know it's one thing i so kyle mentioned we're both jewish and not religious at all i i definitely was more involved in my synagogue than kyle was i had Mm -hmm. a really awesome community i was a song leader there and it was awesome i got to play guitar and sing and And that is to say that i had no interaction and then rachel had some (laughs) There's the biggest difference. Well, I had a bat mitzvah. Like, I went to camp. Like, all your kind of stereotypical, like, Jew kid things. Yeah, Yeah. you did the Jew, Jew, like, the the four-week camp in the middle of the summer out in the middle of the woods. And yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. And my, it was great. My like best, everybody's my best hooking is, up. My best friend's Jewish. We we were we were actually joking about that just recently because he asked. He's like, "Didn't you ever go to camp?" I'm like, "No, I didn't go to camp." He he was like, "That's such a Jewish thing." And he said, "He was like, that's it such is. a Jewish thing." I don't know what it is. It's like it's such a Jewish thing. It's funny. It's Jew camp. I don't know. It's a good time. Yeah. But anyway. one one thing I loved about going was my rabbi growing up was amazing. He passed away when I was in college, and it was like. It was just awful. Looking back on it, he was really my first mentor. And one of the things I loved about him is that he goes, question everything I say. He's like, if I say something, I want you to ask me why. And if I, if you ever hear an adult tell you because I said so, you question them again. No, they're Because wrong. that's not a reason. Yeah. That's not a reason. And I loved that because, you know, usually, and I even now associate religion with kind of like, because I said so. And I really loved the fact that that was so imprinted and impounded on us in uh, religious school. It was great. So even though I don't really associate with any organized religion now, um, just because I think that there has been, and this is totally personal, like I have Mm -hmm. nothing against religion, but I think that there have been more negative things that have come out of it in our world these days uh, than positive. And so I just, for me, I don't participate in it and have my own spirituality, but I think it's great to just 
question everything. Like the worst that can happen is you find out that you're right or you find out that you're wrong. Like yeah. it's not a problem. And God forbid right. you God forbid you actually find out that you're wrong. Like that Right. Yeah. That that was that was something that was that has that was sadly not so much instilled in me until I would well when I say recently I'm thir- it was like I'm 37 re- like re- recent is a is a uh, is a varying term but the my my perspective on politics and religion and whatnot has evolved immensely in the last probably seven years I would say because I was yeah, I was I was raised I, agree. I was raised in a household that was strictly this call it what you will like I said I like to play the game but the it was strictly this this is how things are this is this is how things need to be anybody that's over there like that they're wrong they're assholes they're bastards they're stupid they're da 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 and that was just kind of how I thought. And, you know, I was, I was raised, I was raised in the Catholic church. I was an altar boy. I was not the potential subject of a lot of the documentaries that have been coming out recently. Um, thank God. So, but you know, you, you do see that stuff around and it just, it's, these are all the things that are, that are in your life that you just sort of need to be effectively told that you need to take these things as pardon the pun gospel. Like you have to take, (laughs) you have to take these perspective as gospel. And I'm like, and recently I'm like, well, hang on a second. Some of the, some, it, and it's so, it's so funny how a change in your perspective on everything happens because of one little thing. Like, because when, when you finally learn to question a thing, they're like, well, hang on a second. I was always told that this would be the case if I did this, and then that didn't happen. What else? What else is a lie? Right. It's like, and right. you're like, you, there's that kind of quiet, quiet internal voice just saying, "It's like, well, what? What else do I? What else am I thinking that's not right?" And it just it opens the floodgates. It's amazing how that happens. Oh, 100%. I absolutely agree. I think that one of my favorite things to do with with any bit of resource, because I grew up challenging every piece of authority and understanding and information and all the things mm-hmm. growing up, it I always try to think back to why is this person telling me this? Yeah. What's their motivation for telling me this information? Are they trying to benefit me? Are they trying to shape my thought? Are they trying to give me an impression of something else? And I think in our current uh, political and spiritual world, I think it's really important to make sure that people are questioning kind of the reasons for other people saying things. Because yeah. for a lot, especially in the, you know, do as I say, because I'm the parent mm-hmm. growing up that I think a lot of us got to, um, we grew up not questioning that or being having the impression that if someone tells you something with authority, they're right. Yep. And the the er, the earning of that authority is literally the year that they were born. Yeah, it's like oh, yeah. you didn't die yet, so you must know more than me. Good. Yeah, it was like you you, you were born before I was, so therefore you know, it's it's the it's the own it's the old unionized seniority model. It's like you've been yeah. around, you've been around you, and that's you know d- despite your perspective on you know unionized labor, whatever that might be, that's <laughs> one that's one aspect of it that is just offensive as shit to me like but when when you see that it's like it's like this guy this guy's been this guy's been turning a wrench for 12 years this guy's been turning a wrench faster than the other guy for eight years screw the guy that's been doing it for eight years i've been here i've been here for 12 like whoa 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 wait a second like you you mean what what you do means literally nothing it's just how long your ass has been in the chair like that 
oh, that makes absolutely no sense. Like that—that that was one of the—that was one of my one of the things that dawned on me as being somewhat peculiar that I just kind of took as gospel before. That was one of my revelations. Was was oh was, yeah was a perspective on that. It's like, whoa, hang on a sec. Now maybe that correlated with me being a young person doing well and other people around me doing shitty and me getting personally pissed off about it. Maybe that had something to do with that insight. But maybe not. I don't, you know, I don't know. I also, well, you know, I don't do this for a living, so I don't question my psychology, Rachel. <laughs> well, you know, Jason, there's a great point that uh, you kind of reminded me of there. It's the same, you know, in terms gospel as the concept of respect our elders. Mm -hmm. While I understand that on a basic standpoint, like they've been around a lot longer, they've had more life experience. Or like, don't be a dick to the old lady. Right. Yeah, but the sure. thing like is, if, the yeah, but if the elders are assholes, yeah. then you don't owe them shit. Yeah. And I remember kind of realizing that when many years ago, so a, a distant family member who, you know, they've been around for a long time, but I didn't see this person a lot, just due to my family being so spread out and not talking very much. Mm -hmm. And then at one family gathering, the God, last one Jews. of this family, anyway. I know. This is actually the non-Jewish side of my family, too. Uh, this this elder, who I, you know, inconceptually was supposed to respect, I think it was like 19 at the time, just drops the N-bomb over dinner and is just super racist. Mm -hmm. oh, and, like, it, he had kind of, like, kept it on the outskirts for most of my childhood growing up. Um, but when I wanted to move out of like my small town and live in the Bay Area, live in mm -hmm. Berkeley, he's like, well, have you been around a lot of um, uh, of different people? And I'm like, where are you going with this? <laughs> and then all of a sudden just gets super racist in that moment. And I'm like, fuck this person. I don't yeah. owe them anything. I don't owe them a yeah. family connection. I don't owe them respect because they're not worth either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. And, and, and it's and it's funny how we choose to handle that situation when it comes up with previous generations. Mm -hmm. Just and it might vary based on age, like the age of the person, mm -hmm. like how many generations back are we talking now? Like, are we talking your it's like, are we talking your dad who's in his 50s? No, and 60s? This is, uh, no, no, no. I wasn't asking, but I was just okay. saying, <laughs> in general, like the whereas like, say, for example, when I, I had a Perfect, perfect analogy. When my grandmother was still alive, God bless her, she died at 89 years old, smoking like a chimney until the day she died. The When she died at 89 years old, a couple of years before that, maybe she when she was 86, 87, something like that, you know, I, you know, picked her up. We were out shopping, whatever. We were at the grocery store. In, you know, we were online at the grocery store. And there was a big old black dude that got into line behind us. And keep in mind, I'm five foot five and 160 pounds. I am not a big dude, okay? And here is this here is this dude that was behind me that could quite literally, pardon the pun on the color, could quite literally block out the sun. Big son of a bitch in line behind me. And here's here's my little Italian, you know, off the boat Italian grandma. Saying it's like, and he's like, he's like, God, he's like, all these damn niggers all around here in this stuff. I'm like. I'm sitting there looking mortified, and she looks at me with a straight face and says, that's ah, okay. He can't hear me. By the way, she's talking at this volume. She's not no, She's no. not whispering. Like, the, the, we're four feet away from this man who could probably throw me across the room through a plate, gla through a plate glass window. And it just, well, the best part of it was he, like, he looked at me looking at him and he just kind of cracked a smile and just gave a nod. He was like, I know it crazy old, crazy old lady. I got it. He was like, <laughs> and then, she, and he just kind of blew it off. 
thank God. Because yeah. I'm like, the, seriously. So like, but you can't exactly write off your 87 year old grandmother because this is the world she grew up. Like, at what point? I always want to own that issue. At what point does it become? Is it an entertaining flash from the past that we just kind of ignore? To hey, you know better. To hey, this is thoroughly unacceptable. I'm never going to talk to you again. Like I, I wonder what those cutoffs are. Like, is it like let's pick a year? Is it 1980? Are you born before or after 1980? You should know better. Never going to talk to you again. Is it 1990? Is it the 19 is it 1968 when Martin Luther King was shot? What what's the cutoff? Like when when does this is this thing that we just kind of deal with it and ignore it kind of and eventually she'll you know die and we just don't have to worry about it anymore versus actually stepping in and saying hey you know better watch your map you know is yeah. like what I mean, is I think it it's so nuanced too right like i i don't know for for me i think that there's no from where i'm sitting at least in my perspective i don't think that there's any excuse for hate i think that there is definitely I'm the person who doesn't think that Thomas Jefferson was a horrible person. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that it was the culture to. It's what it's the era he lived. Yeah, right. So, uh, and and my brother and I have gotten into like long debates about this. Um, but I, <laughs> you can get a glimpse into my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really try to look at the whole person, right? Yeah. Like it's where it's the time that they lived. There, nobody knew any better. Now, in today's day and age, everyone can know better. Yes. Now, if the person's like 99 right now, okay, like, sure, bye, like, you're, whatever. Yeah. But if they're going to be around other people, especially younger people, regardless of their age, they're going to be rubbing off on them. Yeah. So, like, if a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or, you know, whatever was in line, let's say, like, next to her, then they hear that. And on a subconscious level, it's like, oh, that must be okay if yeah. that lady is saying that. So. Yeah, it's a really interesting especially, paradox. Especially while the the it still permeates through the culture that these are yeah. your elders, you have to respect your elders. And if yes. you're, if that elder is saying this stuff and ingrained in that five year old that's hearing the ninety nine year old talking, like they're in every other situation, they're told, you know, do what you're told, do what you know, do what the teacher says, do what the you know, do what your aunt says, do what your mom says, do what you just because they're your elders, you have to respect them. Like. Well, our elders are also telling me this. So, yep. Who's right? Uh, it, who's right here? And you know, you can't expect a five. You know, you can't expect a five-year-old to be able to no. sort that shit out on their own. No, no. You know, they're that, they're children. Like, you know. right. Well, I think we're hitting kind of a cultural not breaking point, but uh, a time for us all to kind of take a step forward rather than one back. Because when it comes to the whole idea of you know respect your elders and learn from them, listen to them. I don't know. In a lot of situations, you know, we're dealing with if we you're taking on our, our median age of like people in their 30s, just in terms of this podcast right now. Mm, yep. Our elders are also entirely responsible for all of the pain we're in right now as a country <laughs> and culturally throughout the entire world. Yeah. They've dug us into this hole. And now a lot of us being, you know, in this age range of 30 feel more and more disenfranchised because the older generations are now pointing a finger at us saying it's your fault for not being more successful now mm-hmm. because we were at your age yeah even yeah. though the world is why, completely different why don't you own a house because i have student loans oh i didn't have student loans yeah i know 
Yeah, yeah wouldn't I it know, be nice exactly. if we could all go back in the world yeah, to where the cow- women just stayed home and dresses and made cakes all day while the men went out and worked and functioned? Like, that sounds so much better. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah, it's exactly. insane. Exactly. It does not sound better. It does, no. not, it does not sound better or it might sound better to some than that. Right. Hey, that, and sometimes I like to wear a dress and cook. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he looks but, really cute when he does. But that's 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 actually that's actually one of the big counterpoints that I try and throw out when when we get into conversations about modern day politics, which is always exciting. But is is the is the question the the when you get into questioning the way quote unquote the way things were the my pro, my problem with the way a lot of those conversations go is you may like you mentioned but let's let shorten the example that you use down to leave it to beaver like if you want to return to leave it to beaver and that's the way that you want life we we're almost programmed today to say like universally that's bad my perspective is i think that should be okay if that's what you want, if you like, if you're, if you choose to like, if you're the, if you're the man, you choose to work and you have a conversation with your wife and she wants to stay home and cook and raise the kids and take care of the house. And that's it. If that's your joint decision, who the hell are you to question what I want to do with my life? It's my life. But if, you know, if it's a top down, you know, the husband is the king of the house and he's making the wife do this and making her not work. And if not, different she gets story. smacked across the face. I mean, that's a completely different conversation. That's a completely yeah. different scenario. You know, it get, it's the same with you know the per- people's perspective on sex and relationships and open relationships versus closed relationships. And I, I'm not sure how how much work you do in that area, but that's a lot of, that's a lot a, of work. That's another, you know, that's another one where people like that kind of gets back into religious dogma. Like is, is that, is the prohibition on stuff like that? Is that exclusively based on religious backgrounds or is it innate in, in, in like, is it innate sort of in our nature? Well, like, I mean, well, it's where it good. comes from, right? Like it, it, most things like that has started from religion. Yeah. It, it, and it may not be the reason why now, um, but we can trace it back to religion and, that's so unfortunate because there's so much about religion that is so wonderful. Good. Yeah. There's, you know, and like the community aspect the and music the do that good comes in the world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the music, the connection, the do to your neighbor as you would to yourself, like love on each other. And where it goes all sideways and crooked for me is when people use, and this is any, any people, male, female, no matter what religion or color or whatever, mm-hmm. when people use it as an excuse to be an asshole yeah. or to do something to somebody else or to take away somebody else's rights because some book that they believe was written by someone at a specific time that was not now says that it's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've I I catch shit every time I bring up this quote, but it's it's something that re- was one of the catalysts that sort of changed my perspective on not necessarily my maybe not necessarily my own pers- personal application of religion, but more just my general feelings on religion was a quote from Gandhi, which you've probably heard, which is, you know, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians mm-hmm. look look nothing like your Christ. Like uh, he he was quoted in some publication where he was in he was interviewed Such by somebody and, he quote, and I'm like, damn son, that's harsh. Uh, but uh, when when you look at the when you actually think about it, it's like 
absolutely like the the prince the principles that are the principles espoused in the Bible or the Talmud or you know what pick you pick your popular religious text. The applications of that modern day are so far from the actual applications when they of which they were written like it's not even it's not it's not even the same thing and that's because yep. you, you've gotten thousands of years of you know men like human perspective <laughs> painted onto yeah. it and twisted and applied and emphasized and de-emphasized and whatever it's like playing a game of telephone it's like totally. right modern day, modern day religion is like playing a game of telephone and that that's sort of where yeah. i that's sort of where i fall on it now is that you know, in the principle, like the principle of religious belief, I'm not going to question it. Am I an atheist? No, by definition. By its definition, am I an atheist? No. My perspective on that being, is there a God? I have no goddamn idea. I can't, <laughs> I can't say no. Yep. I can't say no because I don't know. And if you right. say you know, like if you're a, and, and this is an argument that I always have is like, if you are a scientist and you say for sure there is not, then you are being a crappy scientist. You don't know. You can, mm -hmm. you can, it's like, well, I don't believe. It's like, scientists don't believe. That's the fucking point. It's like that, you know. It's oh, like, yeah. That's, well, I think. You know what's really funny about religion and in general is that when you boil it down, when you distill religion into something worthwhile, it all comes down to don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> it's like, don't. Really, if you can put at the front of every religious tech, like <laughs> scripture, anything at the very beginning, put a too long, didn't read, don't be an asshole. <laughs> that would be so much more beneficial because all it is is like, hey, I like thinking this way. It makes me feel good to think this way. Maybe if I just shut my mouth and sat at home thinking this way and not telling someone else how they need to think so I'm more comfortable, we'd all be a little bit happier if we could just kind of keep our thoughts and opinions to ourselves when it comes to what makes us feel comfortable in our own homes. Or and sharing it. It's just not demanding. It. It's Yeah, it, no it's, one is less than you because they yeah. think something different, and which is something that we're getting to apply. We're coming to a point in our culture, especially in the States, we're applying that same concept to a lot of other things. Yes. That if someone doesn't think what I think, they're wrong, regardless they're, of what they think. Yep. They're wrong. They're evil. They're monsters. They're criminals. Right. They're whatever. But, I'm like, uh, it's, I'm actually just Joe, you know, I'm right. like, <laughs> you know, is like, is like this guy is like, he's like this guy that's, that lives down the block is like, I, he's got a Trump sign in his lawn. He's a not, you know, he's a Nazi. It's like, Actually, he's Joe. Joe. Right. Joe is the nice man that took your mother to the doctor five years ago because she because she couldn't drive. Yep. I think I think if he was a Nazi, he probably would have killed her as opposed to taking her to the doctor. <laughs> That's Sorry not what laugh, you're talking. Yeah. It's true. Right. Like it's true. And I. It's funny. This ties back to something that you said earlier about you know the during the respecting of your elders conversation is you know the how baby boomers today which is more the elder generation today mm -hmm. they're complaining about how you know the gen xers and millennials especially millennials you know are like the bane of the cultural existence and everything that's going wrong is because millennials are lazy and they're not getting jobs and you know they're they're constantly quitting their jobs and going and working at different companies and it's like oh it's all their fault i'm like hang on a second 
every every company that they work for is run by a baby boomer. Every yep. company that mm-hmm. fires them is because of a baby boomer. The the I I'm I'll I'll kick the crap out of younger millennials as as ju- as good as the re- as anybody else. But right. one point that sort of dawned on me. I don't want to say re- I don't want to say recently, but something that dawned on me fairly recently was it, everything that we have, and this kind of gets back to you know, is it okay for to keep the five year olds around the ninety nine year old grandma because she says racist shit all the time? It's like mm-hmm. it gets it gets kind of back to that. Think about it from the perspective of the millennials. We all only know our own life experience. That's all we know. Like what we see in our lives, we're primates, we're chimps. We understand only what's in front of us. And if you think about it from the perspective of millennials, millennials are technically what was the cutoff? 1983, born. My after- friend, you're a millennial. Yeah, I see. I've been ta- see. De- depending on the sources I look at, it says it starts in either 1980 or 1983. No one can ever it's tell me. The 1981 date. to 1996. Okay, so think about it. You're like on the cusp. In the in that. In that era, if you are a child that grew up, that was born and grew up between the early 80s and the mid 90s, what did you what did you see? You saw massive housing crash where people lost the value of their homes. You saw the stock market. Like, and if you're still living at home and you're in college, you saw stock market crashes where your parents lost 60 percent of their retirement fund two years before they were born. They but saw, you the, saw value- the people who did that without any responsibility given to them for it. And then you and then, you know, fast forward 10, fast forward 10 years where these people are in the workforce and you wonder why they have no loyalty to a corporation and why they have no no interest in buying a house. And you fucking wonder why it's like exactly. all they all they knew growing up. All they knew growing up was that they had one or both parents laid off at least once, if not multiple times, and then they had their stock their stock portfolios cratered multiple times and their home value cratered multiple times. Mm-hmm. What the hell do you th- expect them to think about? job loyalty and loyal whether it be loyalty to a company or interest in owning residential real estate or what what do you expect them to believe like the, look at what they lived through and i'm not talking about living through world war ii i'm not trying to glorify them any more than they deserve but look at what they lived through they lived through stock market crashes massive deregulation which led to layoffs and outsourcing and this is the world this is the world that they see they didn't see the glory years of the of the of America in the mid in the mid twentieth century. They didn't see that. What they saw was horrific when it came to how real estate and financial markets and job markets and whatever how the, how they treat their parents. And that was pretty shitty treatment. And they're like, well. If I'm just going to end up getting laid off anyway, because that's what happens. They have a belief. That's what happens. When you have a job at a company for more than 10 years, you get fired for someone cheaper. That's what they believe, as they should, because that's what they saw. Which is hilarious, too, because that's happening to my dad right now. And so he has that same mentality, and he is by no means a millennial. Right. But yeah. because he has that has become the reality, that is his view. Yeah. Like it's it's happening in his company right mm-hmm. now. And so I, I find it really interesting to watch as things continue to um, permeate into different generations. Like my grandmother is really 
understanding of what's going on in this generation. So like, for example, she thinks that it's cuckoo banana pants. If anybody under 25 is like buying a house right now, she's like, that's insane. Like, why would they do that? You're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because she really keeps up on what's actually going on and is able to see past what's 20 feet in front of her. And, you know, I feel very blessed to have that. Um, But a lot of people, including our our own ages, don't see that. You know, again, like you're saying, we see what's in front of us and we believe what our parents tell us. And this comes back to the whole like not questioning what you're told because I said so and the ham story and all of that. Well, and it is what comes back to even uh, we're seeing a huge shift in, well, we're seeing a shift in the countries that are actually, you know, willing to study these things, Mm -hmm. which are mostly, you know, the Nordic countries that Bernie Sanders (laughs) talked way too much about during his presidential run. Um, But they're noticing that people under the age of 25 uh, aren't religious. Yeah. Long-term thing. And actually on religion, I think Jason, there's a book that I want to recommend to you that you'd love. Um, It's called uh, God is dead by Ron Curry Jr. And um, it's all, it's a story. It's a fiction novel about, uh, and this is just from the back of the book, so I'm not going to ruin anything for you. God takes human form, comes down to earth uh, just to kind of observe something, but then gets killed in human form and some hyenas feed in the corpse and gain the ability to walk on water and talk. And it's a series of five or six short stories that tell the story of the planet Earth when the Earth has to come to the uh, realization that there, A, was a god, but B, God didn't do anything, just created the earth, set it spinning and then sat back and watched. And that was mm-hmm. all they ever did. And it's a great story of human self-reliance and perseverance. But also uh, it's a really fascinating book. I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. It, it named after a Nietzsche quote, which I always appreciate. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. a it's a super good one. Well, let's 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 tie this all back kind of to what you guys do for a living, which is, you know, apply, applying this all to relationships. I mean, the, the, this isn't exactly the easiest time in the world for dating because, no. you know, you have to answer a 10 page questionnaire before you can have a drink with somebody today. Like mm-hmm. the, how, how do you, based on your experiences in working with the people that you work with, the, how do you sort of handle when people have significant cultural differences, like how are you, how are you advising people to understand the other, the other person a little bit more than what their recent couple of Facebook posts say? Like mm-hmm. what, what, like how are you managing that process for people? Oh, such a good question. So I'm going to split it up um, into, I'll respond from my work primarily with, well, no, I run the gamut. So I'll speak from my work, but then I'm going to let Kyle take it um, in another direction because he's doing work with specifically men okay. and navigating what he's calling modern masculinity. So I'm going to let Kyle take that mm. piece of it. Okay. Um, but for me, you know, it's it's been really interesting to see the shift happen, especially with this last election here in the States. Um, when when the Why? Whole- Did something happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was good. That was, I was like, uh, Jason. Yeah. (laughs) Um, when honestly the shift started happening with my clients around when the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton debacle started happening. Feud maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Call it it a few. That's a good, like a a children's tantrum. So it didn't even have to do with, um, 
you know, Republican versus Democrat or right versus left. It was which left because, of, again, mm-hmm. remember, I was in San Francisco. I was in a super liberal part of San Francisco. Sure. So literally the argument was which person on the left side would be better. And the overarching thing that I have advised and help clients do around this is just like we were talking about with Thomas Jefferson you cannot judge a person by one part of their life. I mean, you can, you can choose to do that 100%. That is your choice as a human being. We all get that decision to judge or not to judge. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a lot harder to understand someone else's opinion, to grow yourself, to have friends who are just not all living in an echo chamber. Yeah. If you judge somebody based off of one voting election or, like you said, two Facebook posts, I have – and I'm going to say this because I know she doesn't listen to podcasts, but my best friend, <laughs> her her parents are super Republican, okay. and I'm not, as you could probably tell. Um, and we really do not – like just – it's really bad. And we had dinner with them, and – Trump came up and all I did was ask questions Mm -hmm. because from where I'm sitting and this is what I tell my clients too, like, what is the point? What is the value for you in arguing? Are, Are you really is the objective to change their mind? Because if the objective is to change their mind, you are going to get a lot further by listening to them first Mm -hmm. anyway. So ask questions. If, if people who you love or you care about are voting in a way that you don't understand or posting things on Facebook that you're like, how could you post this? Like, don't you support X, Y, and Z? Ask them, you know? So I, I went up to her and I was like, I'm genuinely curious. Like you run an OBGYN practice. You are an advocate for women's health and you support Trump. And I'm curious how that works. Yeah. And I got a really interesting explanation and I don't agree with it necessarily, but that wasn't the point is I actually got to understand where this person was coming from and in turn, it actually made us closer and we have, it's a wonderful relationship because it, I allow her to be her, right? Like we, I can choose then to not talk with her about certain things. I can choose to not share certain things or whatever our relationship looks like, but I don't put her in a corner saying, well, she supports this person. So therefore I could not associate with. Yeah. So that therefore she's carrying a tiki torch down the street in Charlottesville. It's like, well, uh, not the same. They're not the same people. Exactly. Exactly. And I understand how easy it, I really get how easy it is to lump it all together. I mean, look, I'm Jewish. Like I I get it. Like it's people are worried and there's a lot of hate out there that was not as vocal as before. Mm -hmm. And so it's really easy to say, well, if you voted for this person, you support that. And it's not that black and white. That is not how all people think. And so to me, it is so much more helpful and even helpful to, shift someone's thinking too. If if you, if that's what you're wanting to do, if you understand where they're coming from first, because after I understood her, guess what she asked me? Mm. (laughs) 
well, what are your thoughts on it? And then I got to share with her. Oh my God, you had a conversation. Right. <laughs> Instead of sitting there being like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm Jim, blah, 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 blah. Right. And, and so it ended up bringing us closer and really understanding each other and where we were coming from. And after that, she actually stopped posting these political things on Facebook. Yeah. And it wasn't until she actually heard it from a calm person who was not screaming at her that what was she, what she was posting was coming off really offensively. She did not understand that. Yeah. Whether it was a generational thing, whether it was she wasn't understanding how Facebook worked. I don't really know. Or, still, she, or but, she didn't or she didn't know that it was coming off offensive to someone that she actually gives a shit about like that. Yes. That's the big thing too. It's like, if, if I, if you and I are on the polar opposites of everything politically, and mm -hmm. we also don't like each other, I'll post shit on Facebook just to piss you off, <laughs> you know? And, and there's people that'll do that. And, and you would probably do the same thing just to screw with me. Like that's just, and by the way, hallmarks of a, Wonderful relationship, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> the, but the, I mean, people, people will, people, there, there's a term called shit posting. It exists. It's real. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do it. And, you know, people will do it just to provoke people. They'll post stuff just to provoke people. And sometimes they'll do it to provoke strangers. Sometimes they'll do it to promote, to provoke, you know, the cousin who was a bitch at Christmas last year. So, you know what? I know she hates Trump. So I'm going to post this. You know, it's like people will do that kind of stuff stuff. Yeah, you you need to kind of, you know. Absolutely. Grow up. And she, and she didn't realize that that's what she was doing. Yeah. She thought that she was sharing something that she supported like as if I was sharing like I don't know, yay women's rights or like yeah. yay planned parenthood. Like that is where she was coming from with it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I understood that that then I could reflect back to her like so my experience with it is this. And she's like, oh, what? I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so she was able to grow too. And I think that that's something that we toss out a lot of times is like, oh, well, if they think this, then they just think this. And it's like, no, let, no. let's talk about it. Because how else do we learn and grow and evolve? It's hearing other people's opinions. So even if on the outset, I can say like probably not going to, you know, agree with most of what she's saying. It doesn't mean I can't listen and understand. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have my own thoughts and feelings on that subject just a little bit, but, uh, yeah. well, I think that this In point, today's we world, got, you're allowed to talk to Kyle. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's, uh, that's actually a lot of the work that I, uh, am doing with yeah. guys now is, helping them navigate what I'm calling our modern masculinity because what that is has recently been kind of painted in a really odd way and there's a lot of opinions being thrown around and what I really hope I think culturally we're all moving towards is a, an idea of critical thinking and not being super like triggered by what people say on the internet because one of the best places to find misinformation about gender roles and sexuality and anything else is on social media. Because within the same two seconds, you can find someone posting about how real men are over five feet or are only six feet tall and, and higher. Mm -hmm. And then you can see <laughs> the exact same thing as someone else posting something completely inappropriate about how women need to be under a certain weight to be like attractive. 
it's insane the amount of misinformation that people choose to look at, which is the craziest thing to me, because uh, it speaking specifically to what Rachel was just talking about, that same woman uh, I had posted, I forget what it was. It was like the uh, like the bromance 2016, and it was Obama was hanging a medal on Joe Biden's neck, and they were both like crying. And I was like, that's fucking cool. Like, look how great these two are together. Like, what a great uh, a partnership of of human beings. And this woman had commented like, oh, what has Biden ever done to deserve anything? And I'm like, well, I mean, I could list all the things <laughs> I could ask you to show an ounce of respect. Or sure, what sure. I did was just delete her comment because I'm a bigger person than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So what I what I really one of my big callings is helping guys kind of navigate the the current situation we're in, because the fact of the matter is that guys now are having to deal with the repercussions of decades, centuries of problems created by men. And our culture is coming to the point where no one wants to do that anymore. Guys don't want to have to live up to the previous, in quotes, uh, you can't see air quotes, obviously, expectations <laughs> of previous generations for what manliness is, whatever that weird-ass term is. Yeah. And, you know, women don't want to be treated the way they have been for, I don't know, ever? Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. And so it's a really, hopefully critical thinking is on the rise because it's really important to make sure that any action that we do now hopefully is a betterment for everyone around us. Yeah. It's so funny. The, 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 we, we hope that critical thinking is on the rise, but in so in some way in welcome, welcome to flawed humanity in so many areas it is. Right. And in so many areas it's not because if you say you voted, he's like you voted for Hillary Clinton. Okay. So therefore you are this in right. every goddamn area of your life i can i can predict exactly what your perspective is and the sad thing is they're almost always right when you say that it's like you voted for hillary clinton okay let me guess you're pro-choice okay let me guess you're pro expansion of the welfare state okay let me guess you're you're that and they're kind of almost always right today it, it, from the majority of people you're almost always right when you say that and that that makes me not as hopeful uh, that we're moving into an area of, of, of an era of critical thinking that Christ, I hope we are. But when I, when I see, when you see the stuff going on with social media, when you see comments that are on there, when you see the political climate of you did this, so therefore you are these other 15 things I'm like, well, actually, hang on, let's right. talk, let's talk about point number two. And then let's talk about point number three. Uh -huh. We'll we'll work uh -huh. our we'll work our way down to the fifteenth one. But we we've we've become so dependent on receiving our updates from our friends and news sources from through social media that we just we think we don't have time for those types of conversations. So it's easier. Mm -hmm. And I'll say it, it is easier. It's like Well it, yeah, human beings want to put stuff in a box. It's yeah. really, really common to yeah. want to it's well it's easier for our brains to to use information that way because like a computer, which is what we are, yep. it, it's super easy to want to take, okay, I learned X. Now X will always be X and that's the only way it'll ever be is just X. It's easier for us to think that way. So when I see someone wearing a red hat, it's easier for me to be like, that person's an asshole, yep. even though that's probably not true. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I haven't talked to them yet, yeah. but it's probably just a hat. You know? It's so easy for our brains to do that. Uh, what I what I do find an interesting thing is that um, in the whole like how men and women like try to date nowadays and talk to each other, some things I find 
so fascinating. There is an app. Uh, I forget. This is where I think critical thinking is in play in a little bit, which makes me happy. Uh, there is an app that was being talked about. I forget, honestly, where I saw this. I don't want to say it was Shark Tank, but I think it was, where it was literally like a Tinder-esque consent form app where two adults would be like at the bar and they'd be like, hey, you want to go have sex? Okay, hold on. Let's both put our thumbprints onto the app to make I've, sure that we both sign consent I've before we go this. home. I've heard and then that. I forget who it was was reviewing. It was like, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. This is only going to go poorly. Do you have any idea how bad this is going to be if you do this? <laughs> so it's like we're all trying to do the right thing without being willing to say we don't know what the fuck we're doing nowadays. It's like we all have this intention of doing the right thing. But what is that? Yeah. Well, and I want to even challenge that because this is work that comes up a lot with my clients. I would imagine. Yeah. There yeah. is no right and wrong when it comes to most things. So there are very, very, very few things in this world that are black and white. Yeah. Like seriously. And I, and I challenge a lot of my clients. I'll say, okay, let's list out the things that are black and white. Okay. If somebody kills someone. Yeah. That that's not good. Yeah. Pretty, pretty yes or no. Does it make them a bad person? No. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they were having a mental break. Depends on the then circumstances. Are they responsible yeah, exactly. For that? Like there's so many nuances. And so there, there in itself makes murder, yeah. not black and white. We have, we mm -hmm. have a court system because it's not like, because they're like nuance matters. Like right. it, that's, and that's actually probably, a so that's actually probably the, the summation of our entire conversation is that, mm -hmm. you know, that we, we, we are living through an area an area we're also living through an era the <laughs> we're li we're living through an era where we're seeing the death of nuance and that's yes. that's the saddest thing that i can see because it doesn't like like i mentioned you know joe down the street that took your mom to the doctor but you know yep. al also you think you know was involved in the death camps i'm like well, mm -hmm. ma ma because because of because of why you think this person murdered millions of people because of why a lawn sign got it a lawn sign okay so you think a piece of metal stuck into grass means that he murdered real okay hmm all right they the and that that's where that's where the my whole worry about critical thinking is coming in but I mm -hmm. I do I do see your point about how some people are starting to it's starting to. The tide is starting to recede a bit. Thank God. Yes. Well, yes. Like people are starting to realize I'm hearing it in podcasts. I'm reading it online. I'm sadly not seeing it on the news much, but people are starting to say like, well, hang on a second. Let's take a breath. Is this really what that means? Yeah. And I am starting to see that. So no, I, I get, I'm with you there. Well, right. And one of our, our big overarching thing with right well in the center and all the work that we do is communication because none of this works unless we just talk to each other and are honest with mm -hmm. where we're coming from which is one of the most important things you can do for yourself as a human being for yourself in your relationship for for any aspect of your life if you're not being honest with what you want and why you're never going to be happy you're never going to be in a long-term relationship or you're never going to be able to have a conversation with your racist uncle about <laughs> why he's racist yeah it's all about being able to share how you're feeling, why you're feeling it, and be vulnerable around it too because we're taught, especially guys, that being vulnerable is weakness, weakness when it's sure. actually the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like if you look at the – and I'm I'm fresh off of listening to a book review about a guy named Chesty Puller who was – 
the symbol of symbols of the United States Marine Corps. And the, so think, fill in all the stereotypes that you imagine, like the, the Mm -hmm. man, the the manliest man on the planet. But if you actually read the story about the guy's background, he was incredibly caring and sensitive and loving of his men and his family and what, like all of the stereotypes that you could possibly imagine being the farthest thing in the world from masculinity. That Mm -hmm. was, that was the farthest thing in the world from who this man really actually was. It's like, well, wait a second. There's get gets back to the death of nuance. It's like, there's more, there's more to it than that. Right. Have, did you watch the show um, American crime story, the Versace one? That no. was recently on. No. Okay. So Ryan Murphy is the creator and producer and director. And Ryan Murphy has an incredible way of displaying nuance in a way that presents itself as vastly uncomfortable and almost forces you to take a second thought. Mm-hmm. It's it's mm. talk about a superpower. Um, and Darren Chris played Andrew Cunanan, who is the man who assassinated Gianni Versace okay. and Darren Chris is a musician. He was on Glee, uh, which is also a Ryan Murphy show. That's how they originally met, but okay. he is a musician and actor and not a lot of people know who he is. I've been a fan of his for a very, very long time. Um, and so when he got this role, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's going to be so cool to see Darren play this, you know, serial killer. Cause that's how this man, Andrew Cunanan was presented in the news in everything I've ever read. And he goes on this talk show circuit, right? Because that's what you do when you're on a press tour for a TV show. And we have our DVR set to record anything that Darren Chris is on because I love him. That's modern technology. Yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden, you know, every other day we're getting like a, a talk show with Darren Chris on it. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, let's watch it. So every single interview, every single interview, the person interviewing him asked the same question in a different way, mm. which was something along the lines of what is it like to play someone so disturbed to play a serial killer? Mm-hmm. And Darren Chris's answer to every person was he's not disturbed. He has emotions like you and I do. We all have the same access to all of the same emotions And there are times where most people can control the extremes of the emotions and some people can't. Yeah. And he goes, do you want to be judged for the worst moment of your life? And like the whole studio got quiet on every single one, like every single one. It was like Good Morning America, and he was on Seth Meyers and um, uh, Fallon, The Tonight Show, like every show. It's like they didn't want that answer. They they wanted him to say like, oh, yeah, I would watch American Psycho in the nude every time before going on stage. That's how like I knew how to get into this psychotic character. They wanted like an extreme answer from him. But his answer was just he's a human being and I acted like a human. Yeah, that that reminds me. I I heard I heard a comment recently <clears throat> about that where in the when you talk about pe- someone's perspective on things is if you had to pick x you know however many people to 
come and sit down to dinner. Like if you could pick anybody mm. from history to come and sit down from dinner, like five people from history, who would it be? You know, would it be, you know, Benjamin Franklin, Mother Teresa, Adolf Hitler, whatever, like, and th- someone snapped back is like, well, why would you want, you know, and Adolf Hitler, for example, to come to dinner? It's like the answer. And the answer that I heard was incredibly insightful, which was because I want to hear his perspective yeah. We we yeah. all we all believe ourselves to be righteous. We don't wake up in the morning. People that you deem evil don't wake up in the morning, sh- you know, rub their hands together and say, "Oh, who can I fuck over today?" or "Who can I murder today?" It's you know the what can I do to advance the human race? What can I do to do this? I believe mm-hmm. that this solves that problem. Let me go and do more of that. We all think that we're righteous. I would lo- the Larry King was recently interviewed the very rare times that he actually gets interviewed himself on a podcast that I listened to recently with Cal Fussman, who's apparently a buddy of his. And he asked that question about, you know, it's like, who would you most like to interview? And he answered Osama bin Laden. And he was like, Hmm. not for the reasons that you would think it's like, you know, what would you ask is like, like, why did you fly buildings into the world trade center and kill all those people? He's like, no, I wouldn't ask that. My question would be, you grew up, in one of the wealthiest families in Saudi Arabia, where you were raised with servants and women and luxuries and castles and everything that comes along with the life of royalty in one of the richest countries on the planet. And you chose to go live in a cave. And to be a freedom fighter. Why? Like, yeah, I mean, and it'd be just fascinating lit, to get and then that perspective. fascinating to hear that perspective. Yeah, it's like, yes, the guy was a murderous monster, but that's not what he thought he was. Like Hitler did not. Th- that's not what he thought he was. I like. I'd be so, keep your opinions at the end of the day, but know where the other side is coming from. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that that would be. I mean, it'd be something that I'd be so curious to even experience having a conversation with somebody who has, regardless of how they did it, shaped humanity in a way, shape or form, because it can all boil down to individuals throughout time doing something extreme and creating a movement, whether or not that's a good or bad thing. But I would always be so fascinated to uh, to be able to talk to somebody of that level of influence, good or bad. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a solid spot to uh to wrap up now the i think we pretty much touched on it's like everything that i'd love love to chat with you guys about is there anything that we missed that you want to make sure that the audience hears about you guys or but even better where to find you if they want to ask you questions that i missed uh I mean, sure, we could do a quick little blurb. So the real uh, purpose and intention behind our company, Right Wellness Center, and what we do is we're here to bridge the gap between going to buy a self-help book for your relationship and then needing to go to couples therapy because there's a huge gap between those two things. And we're given this concept that you're supposed to figure out your relationships in life through trial and error. That's insane. If there's anything <laughs> to be learned from experience, it's to not do some of these things, but we don't talk about sex that same way. We don't talk about how to cry in front of your wife that exact same way. We don't do these things. Yeah. And so I have a huge chip on my shoulder about education in general because I don't like the way education's given out in this country. And I've always wanted to be able to bring uh, the things that will actually make someone's life better 
to them in a way that is not required in a classroom. And so that's one of our big callings here at Wright Wellness Center. Yeah, I, I think the other thing I'd say too, like my own personal mission, and I know that Kyle has this also, but it really like what lights my fire every day is to really change and transform the way that we talk about mental health relationships and sex. Because they're things that we all experience. Every single client I have ever had has experienced either someone else with a mental health issue or they themselves have a mental health issue. Mm -hmm. They've been in a relationship or want to be in a relationship and they've had sex or want to have sex. And yet these things are not talked about ever. Yeah. And so that is literally like on the days where I just, I wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm tired today. I think about transforming the way that we teach, learn, and talk about those three things. And I am up out of bed quicker than you can snap your fingers. Because that to me is where we can really change things. And if we can get more comfortable talking about the things that we all experience, then we can all experience them together instead of having to put each other in boxes, slap labels on, you know, put it up all pretty nice away, tied up with a bow and experience life for what it is, which is messy as fuck. It's (laughs) life is messy. Like it's just messy. And the more that we try to keep it clean when it's messy, that's where anxiety comes in. Mm -hmm. That's where depression starts popping up. And all it is, is a, it's this not acknowledging what's real and the fact that things suck sometimes and that they're hard and that it's okay to have bad days. So really like bridging that gap and really transforming the way that we talk about those three things. Yeah. Like that it, it was said to me recently that, you know, it, and it also t- goes back to anxiety. It's like, you know, dep- depression is anxiety, be- anxiety about the past, you know, being is, you know, and what was the, uh, it's like, there's anxiety and depression. It's like they're they're both reminiscing on the negatives of the future or the past. It's like if yep. you're if you're anxious, you're you're freaked out about what's going to happen. If you're depressed, you're freaked out about what did happen. It's like, well, if we can, you know, stop being so freaked out because we don't keep everything bottled up and we actually get stuff out and done and fixed and put away. It's like mm-hmm. it's like you feel a lot le- you feel a lot better about your kitchen when the dishes are finished. Right, exactly. Clean the goddamn dishes. Just and there's such a lack of education. And again, this is not a human problem. Like this is not a an individual problem. This is a societal problem because we're not educating around the research that has been done. And so people don't know that their brain chemistry changes. People don't know that talk therapy changes your brain chemistry. Mm. Oh, even we just learned about the hormone cycling thing. Oh, yeah. That to that, me is insane. That men uh, reset their hormones every 24 hours, but women it's 28 days. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right? The concept behind that blew my mind where I'm like, hold on. I'll be a different like the way I'm going to be interacting with the world could change on a daily basis over something that I, I really can't control that much unless I'm really paying close attention to it. But you That's reset crazy. every day yeah, and it takes me 28 days to reset. It's insane. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, that, that's awesome. Let me ask you guys really quick. One last question that I ask every guest on the show, getting back to the concept of the show being what are the sort of the small moves, the small things that people can do that 
will eventually compound to make a bigger impact over time. What purchase have you guys made in recent memory of $100 or less that's had the biggest impact on your life? This can apply to your personal life. It can apply to your business. You can combine your answer. Something with tells me in in your is like in your profession. This conversation may sway in the direction of sex toys. I don't know, but <laughs> so I is like I'm I'm fully aware that you know where this conversation could go. But you know, is there is there something specific that comes up that you guys can think of? I have one, but I want to see if Rachel, are you ready? Or you want me to go first? You you could go. Okay, so mine is. Uh, I think it was about $28, maybe 30. It was under, it was under 40 or something like that, how much we spent. Um, but we went to go get lunch the first day. We went to a conference in San Diego about a month and a half ago or but a month ago, a month ago. We went to a conference in San Diego where we were both feeling kind of out of our depth. We weren't really sure, like we were supposed to there to, you know, make business oh. connections and gain education <laughs> and on how to run our business better and all these things. And, it's kind of like high school in the way that everyone meets each other like, oh, hey, I kind of know you from our last school and I don't know you yet, but you know that person from like, uh, you know, soccer practice after whatever. So maybe we can be friends, too. It's like that awkward kind of getting to know everybody, but also trying to talk about yourself, too. Yep. We went to because we were like, OK, we got to go get lunch. We can either like stay in the uh, like conference area and just have lunch here or we can walk like a mile or so across the way and get lunch with a group of people whom a lot of which we don't know yet. And we're like, let's go with this group of people we don't really know that well yet and actually get like some FaceTime and get out of the conference a little bit. And that was, I think, the like the momentum of like the ball, like the snowball getting bigger and bigger and bigger of what was a life changing experience while we were at this conference. But we really spent that, you know, forty dollars on lunch uh, to just to go and treat ourselves to an experience that really empowered us. I have a different answer, but I love that answer. Oh, that, is, that is a wonderful answer. Go ahead, Rachel. Well, thank you, both of you. Mine was, well, is uh, a pen. <laughs> this sounds so silly. Um, so I am a total dork when it comes to office supplies. Like, I was the kid that when it was time for back-to-school shopping, like, I basically would have said, like a brain orgasm. I'm basically Monica from Friends. In I was going to say you could have said I was total dork and then moved on, not specified to office supplies. Just <laughs> no, no, going. no. But like, I mean, I'm a dork in many ways, but like office supplies, like really. So I went. I was having um, somewhat of a low day, and I went to Target and literally stood in the pen aisle for like, I don't know, an hour. I, like I probably looked insane. In sit, like, why is the lady staring at the pens for so long? And I left with a pen that was like, I don't know, $7 or something for two of them. And I use that pen every morning in my gratitude journal. And whenever I use it, I think about the fact that I took the time to do something that a lot of other people are like, why would you spend an hour <laughs> looking at pens? But for me, it made me really happy and it made me feel it accessed my inner child on some like weird school level. Mm -hmm. And every morning I get that joy when I use that pen to write. I've done that before. Yes. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Uh, but, Nerds. but anyway, moving on. That is awesome. Uh, <laughs> Rachel and Kyle, thanks you guys so much for coming on the show. This is awesome. Thanks for having yeah, us. Absolutely. It was really fun. Yeah. 
Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show for this week. I'm really glad that you got the chance to hear from Rachel and Kyle. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did as well. Really quick before you go, please log on to whatever podcast app you listen to the show on and go ahead and subscribe. We've got some great interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks and I don't want you to miss out. And also don't forget to follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the show. And I'll talk to you next time around. You've got this. Got this.